game is over. You're going to have to deal with the Chiefs. McCaffrey's going to get it, and he walks in. Touchdown, San Francisco. Here's Birdie looking, firing in. Joe caught. Ayu, touchdown. And the ball came out. Ball is loose. Who's got it? Three days to go until Super Bowl Sunday. Let's say hi to Steve Mickelson from MixPicks.com. Two K's in Mix, two K's in Picks. MixPicks.com. He is at the site. Well, not the site, the city of uh, Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Lots going on. Uh, it's it's hard to not completely engulf yourself in Super Bowl hype, especially with the Niners being in there regionally. We are keeping an eye on the NBA trade uh, deadline. You can call us at 888-989-9811. Uh, you can email us, rad at radradio.com. I got a lot of emails like this one, Steve. I chose uh, this because it gets right to the heart of what a lot of people wanted us to talk about. Uh, it's from Martin. He says, Rob, how in the world did the Kings lose to the worst team in the NBA? You and Steve must explain. Goes to the heart of what Steve's always talking about. Uh, this is why we play the games. But there, this one had an interesting reaction. We were saying yesterday, Steve, the Kings should be able to to name the score. Uh, and uh, the, the Kings players themselves with Detroit's two best scorers not even playing after the game, used words like uh, it sucks, disappointing. Uh, Mike Brown, coach, said we can't look ourselves in the mirror after this. There were m- multiple media reports of if, if, if anybody watched the game, you could you could see the air sucking out of Golden One Center. You could hear it. And there were multiple media reports of Kings fans as they were leaving the game verbally expressing how disgusted they were, how pissed off they were. They were cursing and and things like that, I, I will leave it to you to explain how this happened. It, it's an ugly loss for Sacramento. I mean, to lose by 13 at home to Detroit, Kings were a 13-point favorite Ooh. in this game. Cade Cunningham was not playing, who's the best player for the Pistons. But again, when I sit and look at it, one, the Kings, bad fourth quarter, uh, you know, which helps lead to that. But the Kings didn't shoot well from the three-point line again. I mean, I think they shot 34% from there. They were out-rebounded by the Pistons in this game as well. Just, I mean, it's bad in every way. And, and then when you look at it, and this is back-to-back games of them allowing their opponents to shoot for, you know, over 50% from the floor. The Pistons last night, almost 55% from three-point land. And, and this is where, you know, I've given the Kings some credit in a couple of big games and big stops, you know, a few games back. But again, the Kings are 21st, 22nd, 23rd in the league in defense. The Pistons are one of the worst shooting teams in the NBA. And yet the Pistons shoot, you know, 55% from the three-point land, 56% overall. You can't allow that. This is a bad team. This is a game you have to win. And to me, that it was an embarrassment. Now, Jeffrey just emailed RAD at radradio.com. He asked a question that you and I often discuss, usually prior to games. We say, don't let this happen. Uh, he says, do you think it was the Kings looking past this game? That's one choice. Or a road trip hangover. I discount the latter because the Kings had a good uh, road trip. I mean, the travel and all that could be the hangover. When you look, Steve, I mean, they're playing the worst team in the NBA. They had six wins. They now have seven. The Kings got it rough coming up. They've got the Nuggets tomorrow, OKC, the Suns, and the Nuggets again as their four next games. And you and I often talk about the look-past games. 
I hadn't given that any thought. I didn't look that that far ahead in the schedule. I'm like, I I did. I was like, eh, the Pistons, nothing. And it, it, that that is often a possibility. The Kings seemed really disgusted with themselves after the game. I would if if those are the choices I lean towards, they looked right past Detroit. Took it for granted. I absolutely believe they looked right past Detroit, looked at the next four games. You know, when you get a team that has that road trip, you know, a lengthy road trip, I usually look at that second game that they've been home. The first game they're playing off adrenaline. Yeah, they're glad to be home. But that second game, they tend to be really a lot more comfortable at being home, sleeping in their own bed. So, you know, in baseball, basketball, I've always looked at that second game as the letdown game. But in this situation, it was the first game right out of the gate. And again, the Pistons, this team has seven wins on the season. I mean, come on. You could put out your bench. And, and you know, good thing for their bench because Monk had a really good game. You know, he went for 23, and Lyles had a good game as well. But other than that, I, I mean, the Kings just didn't do a whole lot. You know, Sabonis had his great game as always. But they're just not shooting the ball well. And that worries me as they're rolling into the next four games, which are against really good opponents. Well, and the way it's set up, too, the, the second game home from the road trip is tomorrow night. They host the Nuggets. Those next three I gave you, OKC, Phoenix, and Denver again, they're all on the road. They go right back out. I mean, this is not set up well for the Kings. It's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, that's it's a long season. They didn't lose anything, but you can't give away these must-win games. Michael just emailed in RED at radradio.com about the Kings. He says, I think it's a bunch of young players who don't normally get playing time, and they were trying to show off before the trade deadline to try and get a job somewhere else. I think that's what this game came down to, the desperation of young players before the trade deadline. Is that on the Pistons yeah. side? Because Alec Burks went for 25 last night, and he's shipped off to the Knicks here. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a good thing. The Knicks, they really needed some uh, outside shooting. They've gone and picked up a couple of guys from Detroit for, you know, not a whole lot there. The trade deadline so far has been pretty interesting but Detroit is a very guard heavy, so they can move on. And as a Pistons fan, yes, I'm a Detroit Pistons fan. What a surprise. Uh, you, you know, it's good to see them kind of blowing up that roster because they have a lot more talent than their record shows. And it just, to me, it's got to be the team chemistry then. The buzz on the Wizards of Smart in the sports media uh, as of yesterday when I was tuning in and out was that it might be a slow trade deadline, but it sure hasn't seen that way whether or not you get the mega trade here before, what is it, noon, our, our time. But uh, the Knicks trade for Bogdanovich, uh, the Rap Steel Schroeder uh, for the Nets, Dinwiddle. We got uh, OKC and the Hornets are fi finalizing a Haywood trade. Hey, there's more. Is there anything that's jumped out at you, Steve, or just that they are very active? I, I, I was surprised how active it's been. I like the Hayward trade, although he's been out since Christmas or the day after Christmas. But if he can get healthy, I, I really think he can be a – uh, you know, a good piece for that team with the Thunder. Uh, I didn't think the Thunder really gave out that much. Um, you know, the, the Knicks needed that outside shooting if they're going to compete. They're one of the worst teams, you know, sitting there and shooting from outside because they have much more of the inside game. And I'm trying to think there was one... Uh, uh, I, I want to say a Sixers yeah, trade. Yeah, the healed. He, he, they got healed from the Pacers. Yes, that, that was the one. It, you know, they need that outside shooting. They've been lacking it. They brought in James Harden in hopes that he could be the guy who could shoot from outside. He, he didn't. You know, he had a good year with the Sixers, but he wasn't really a difference maker. I like it for Buddy Heald. Here it is. 
you're the guy. Let's get some time and uh, hopefully he can help the Sixers at least keep them in the playoff hunt and hope that Embiid can get back, you know, in the beginning of the playoffs or shortly after the playoffs start. All right. Uh, we will watch the trade deadline uh, as it approaches and uh, get back to uh, the big thing this weekend. Uh, this email, rad at radradio.com, is from Alec and says, This pains me to say, but I have decided the Kansas City Chiefs need to win the Super Bowl. I apologize to all the local Niners fans, to the greatest show host, Rob, a big Niner fan, but here is what will hopefully happen if the Chiefs win. Andy Reid will retire and Bill Belichick will replace him. Travis and Jason Kelsey will retire. Travis Swift, or I'm sorry, Taylor Swift will go away and the Chiefs will return to earth and the dynasty will be over. Now, there's some things I don't get about that, but he closes with, as a Chargers fan who still has no faith in my little depressing team, I'm willing to give up this season to hopefully look to the future. A future where the Chiefs suck once again. All AFC teams should agree to this, at least the AFC West. See, I, th- I thought he was part tongue-in-cheek, I would think. I thought he was just saying, yeah, I'm tired of the Kelseys, I'm tired of Taylor Swift. But then he uses our conspiracy theory that Andy Reid's going to retire if the Chiefs win and Belichick's going to come in. Okay, Belichick comes in, they don't have Travis Kelsey, and the dynasty's over. I don't buy that. I, I, the Chiefs are going to be fine next year no matter what. I think the Chiefs are going to be fine as long as Patrick Mahomes is healthy and playing quarterback. I'm a little bit surprised because I would think if Belichick comes into the Chiefs, I'd be a little bit worried about the Chiefs running off like five, six, seven Super Bowl wins, you know, in the next 10 years. So I'm not looking at it as the dynasty ending. I'm saying what a great pass off that the Chiefs might actually take a step forward with Belichick because he has the quarterback and we know what he can do with defenses year in and year out. He's just, you know, the chiefs are lacking at the wide receiver position and Belichick that hasn't been his strength in the past, but I, I would think the chiefs don't miss a beat. Uh, a couple of coaching related stories uh, vis-a-vis the super bowl. Uh, it'll be another, it'll be a matchup uh, that is a repeat matchup. Uh, it once again, pits Andy Reid against uh, Kyle Shanahan. There have been three previous times that a head coach rematched against the same head coach in a Super Bowl. doesn't have to be back-to-back years just at any point. Uh, and if Kyle Shanahan wins, it'll be the first time in history uh, that the repeating coach doesn't win again. The The other times it's happened, it was Chuck Knoll versus Tom Landry, Jimmy Johnson versus Marv Levy. We all know Marv Levy never won a Super Bowl as the coach of the Bills. Tom Coughlin versus Bill Belichick. Every time there's a coaching rematch, the guy that lost the first time loses the second time. And you were mentioning yesterday, uh, Steve, about you think that the Super Bowl is a lot about Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan's legacy, and and proving that he can win the big one. And there's another element to all of this, his last name. If Kyle Shanahan wins, first of all, he gets out of the shadow of, of his dad and, and of choking and, and all these other things. Kyle and Mike Shanahan would become the first father and son head coaches to win the Super Bowl. There's also the cool little storyline of, of the Shanahans and the McCaffreys, Christian McCaffrey and Kyle Shanahan are following in the footsteps of their dads because their dads also won together. Christian's dad, Ed, won the Super Bowl title under Mike when Mike was the offensive coordinator of the Niners, and they won two titles in Denver when Mike was head coach. So there's all of this stuff that's layered in there on just the coaching line, and I think all of that, and I don't know how much pressure Kyle feels, but it does add to the allure of this game. Kyle Shanahan, he needs this, I think. I think he really needs this. You know, after being the offensive coordinator with the Falcons and blowing that lead, losing to the Chiefs, 
you know, he needs to shake that reputation. He needs to step out from the shadow of his father. I think Kyle Shanahan is one of the elite coaches in the NFL, but if he goes and loses this again, I think there's starting to be some doubt there on can he really win the big game? And, uh, you know, I, I still think he's a great coach, but you're not going to throw him up with the elites anymore if he can't finish it off, especially when he has the better roster on this team. It, it's all there for the 49ers for him to win. It's also a little bit, and we're, we're kind of picking at the edges here, but that's what sports fans and media do. Part of it, too, would be if Shanahan loses, how does he lose? If if he if he blows another lead, there's his reputation. If that would be, it's like okay, he can't close it. Now, I'm not saying it's better, but it is a little better. If they go out and they get blown out, like they're never in the game, that that might be it might be cast more as the Chiefs were just too much for him. It doesn't take away everything that you said, but it, there there is an element of I think if he if he were to let them come from behind again, there's this pattern in the postseason with him in the Super Bowl. I think either way you look at it, I mean, really? you as a fan for the Niners, look, if they go and get blown out, they were taken to the wire by the Packers, could have easily lost that one. If Dan Campbell kicks the field goal and goes up 17, I believe they lose to the Lions. I think you're adding into the not only can you not win the big game, but what happened to this team? I mean, I'm thinking of Sirianni with the Eagles. You're hitting crunch time. This is January, February football. And your team's not prepared. Your game plan is not prepared. That falls on the coaches, which him being the head coach to me, they get blown out. I think there's serious questions from the fans and the media on is Shanahan really the guy because he's now lost it three times in a row. He wasn't prepared at the end of the season. What's he doing? No, I absolutely. As, as a fan of the 49ers, you and I actually prematurely talked about this as it related specifically to the Bills and the Cowboys. And and we posited, we said, well, wait a minute. If, if we're talking about coaching replacements there and neither one happened, why aren't we talking about it with Shanahan if he loses the Super Bowl? It's the same thing. You get us far enough, but you don't close the deal. I, I, I do not buy that if you get to a Super Bowl, if you're at the Niners level, just getting to the Super Bowl is not enough. If if the if the Lions or the Texans this year would have gotten to the Super Bowl, that's enough. What a win. Of course you want to win it, but nobody's going to say, oh, Dan Campbell, you're out. Oh, D'Amico, thanks, but no thanks, you didn't win. The when you are at the level the Cowboys and the Bills are right now in their iterations, getting to the Super Bowl is not enough. you got to win it. And neither McCarthy or what McDonough, whatever the hell his name is in Buffalo, they haven't even gotten there. It's, it's still not enough. So why wouldn't we be talking about it if Shanahan loses? I think it's not enough. I agree with you. Shanahan needs to win this one. I felt the Niners had the, the most talented roster in the NFL this year. I thought they were the second most talented roster last year, just like the Bills. To, to me, you got to start looking. Look, if, getting there is not enough at this point. You have to close. You have to win. They're built for this window. You know, and if you're not going to bring home a championship in that window, you know, before you have to start paying way too much money at the quarterback position and these other skill positions, you got a small window. You got to be able to seize every opportunity you get. And if he fails again, I think you got to start really taking a deep look into this to okay. find out if he's your guy. Okay. Okay. 
I don't believe for a second this would happen. But this is the this is the fun part of being a sports fan and doing a sports talk show, is you talk about things ahead of time because there's no point in waiting until Monday, especially if the Niners win, right? So let me throw this at you. Niners lose the Super Bowl. John Lynch would never do this because they're attacked, they're attached at the hip. You would need the York family to step in and clean house. They lose, you bring Belichick in. It's a team built to win, has all the weapons, and and you've said, right? Belichick's got a short life there. First of all, I mean, he's, he doesn't have 10 years to give as a coaching. He wants to be the winningest coach of all time. It's a team built to win, and you hand the greatest coach of all time the keys, and you say, all right, prove it, because the other guy couldn't finish the job. I don't think it would happen, but do you like the idea? I was actually thinking about that as you were asking the question <laughs> on, you know, where I thought Shanahan might end up there. I like the idea. I, I don't believe it's going to happen under any circumstances. But to me also, at this point right now that we saw that Belichick did not land a head coaching job, I would think that Belichick would be willing to step into this spot if given the opportunity with all of that talent and would relinquish some of that control on roster and the draft and all that other stuff to Lynch because he's already got a pre-made team. Here it is. He doesn't have to do a whole lot of tinkering. Now just go out and do the coaching and everything else he knows how to do. It'd be wonderful to see happen. I just don't think it's realistic. By the way, bravo. And just so you know, guys, I I, I hadn't seen the emails yet, but so many emailers are coming in. And and like in real time, we don't know who hit, who hit send, as I was saying, what I was saying. And they're all saying, Belichick, get rid of Shanahan if we lose. I'd hire Belichick. Uh, okay, see. All right. We're gonna do our we're gonna do our deep dive tomorrow, time permitting, where we kind of break down the game, make our official predictions because everything changes. And even tomorrow, technically, you got a whole you know forty eight hours with things changing. But we got this email from uh, Jacob, uh, rad at radradio.com. Says hello, Robin, Steve, love the show. It's been a blast listening to you two. I've been a 49er fan since the Mike Singletary days, so I've seen my fair share of greatness, Jim Harbaugh, and garbage, Singletary, Tom Sula, Chip Kelly, being a 49er fan. I am just not sold on this year on them winning the Super Bowl. Shanahan is a fantastic coach and will win a Lombardi someday, I think. But I feel like this Niner team is just set up for heartbreak this year, just like the last two Super Bowls they've been in. My question is, with only three days left until the big day, has Steve changed his mind at all on the Niners winning? Call me a pessimist, which most people are about their own teams, but I just think Mahomes and that defense is too good. And Brock Purdy has struggled too much this postseason for me to be comfortable with him in this position. I really hope I'm wrong, but I think Chiefs win 24-21. I asked you earlier in the week. It's not your final answer for the for the game, Steve. You you in September said Niners Chiefs in the Super Bowl, Niners win. As of Monday or Tuesday, you were still saying Niners win. Are you still saying it three days away? Absolutely. And the question that I would ask you, Rob. What is Kyle Shanahan and what was he brought in? He is supposed to be an offensive genius, one of the most creative minds on the offensive side of the ball. The Chiefs are the number two defense in the NFL. But if Shanahan cannot figure out how to put Brock Purdy in a successful situation to ease him from his nerves because he's going to have it, to allow him to make some good throws and put the Niners in a position to win this game offensively, even against that defense, why do you have him? Especially when you have the best, maybe player, uh, or maybe non-quarterback player in the game at running back with Christian McCaffrey, because that's, that is the hole 
in the Chiefs defense because it's it, there's really there's too many glaring things here. You're you're right. Shanahan's supposed to be an offensive supermind. Well, then overcome this great defense, but the defense has a weakness. So if you and if you can't exploit it with one of the best that's doing it, it really does become why are we look? I do believe if the Niners lose that the 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 San Francisco media will on Monday morning be talking about is Shanahan our guy for the long run? I just don't believe Lynch will get on board with it. That and that's that. And I'm with uh, what's this guy's name? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm with I'm with Jacob. I look. I always I always joke with you, Steve, in the the admittedly rare times your Lions, especially most recently, were in the playoffs and with how you're such an Eeyore. Oh, here we go again. History tell. Recent history with the Niners is they don't close the deal in the Super Bowl. And we just saw this act four years ago against the exact same team. And I am starting to, to I'm seeing, here, here's one more. Uh, this one just came in uh, from Cody, who says, I'm losing hope. I'm getting worried about the Niners. Reason being, it seems like everything is against them. They got a trash training field this week where it's super soft. We've talked about that endlessly. Uh, the guy that predicts the Super Bowl chose the Chiefs. I think he's talking about something we talked about on the uh, on the other Rad Radio show in the morning who's gotten like the last five Super Bowls right or something. Uh, and then he says, now you've said that never has a coach beat the other coach from a previous loss in a Super Bowl. It uh, just seems like the universe is being hard on us. I think there's a lot of Niner fans that are really starting to go from, yeah, this is it, to maybe, maybe. And I, I'm, I'm one of them. It's like, you oh, know, God, you know, I might have to live through this again. Hey, I'm going to add add something to you on uh, that practice field. Uh, and, and sorry to bring this up, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the Raiders practice facility is indoors. The UNLV practice facility is outdoors. Jeez. It has been pouring in Las Vegas like every day for a week. Oh, so God. even if the grass was fine, there's no way it is now. And that's a part that, uh, you know, they've talked about the grass, but they haven't brought up the fact it's been raining in in Las Vegas like every day, like all day. And, oh, by the way, the Niners practice facility is outdoors. Now, you see, I wasn't aware of that. And some of this stuff that, that Cody listed, I'm like, okay, that now we really are being drama queens. I don't – the guy that – has predicted the Super Bowl outcome, whatever, the last five times. I, I don't remember the story. I don't care about that. Um, the, the fact that the three times a coach has faced the coach that he lost to in the Super Bowl and all three times they've lost, that, that doesn't matter. That These things, it's fun to look at these things, but they don't predict anything. But when you get to things like the training field, which does matter, and now you're adding in that, yeah, they're trying to play on turf with grass over it. Oh, and it's been pouring all week. These are the things that make fans go, oh, damn. Then, then his, his, his conclusion is right. It does feel like the universe is closing in on us. So did you ever answer the question? I think you did. Why are you still confident the Niners will win? Because I have confidence that Kyle Shanahan is going to put a game player together to exploit the Chiefs' defense put Brock Purdy in a good situation and win the game. If he doesn't, and my only hesitation at all is Shanahan can be stubborn and want to instill his will as opposed to take what the defense gives him. If the Niners lose, I got to lean towards Shanahan was too stubborn. He wouldn't take what the defense gave him. And he wanted to instill his will. He was unsuccessful at it. And I know he's not going to be gone. Lynch will not get rid of Shanahan. As you say, they are attached at the hip. I think they are a great combination. 
But man, I'd really have to take a step back, look at the situation, because if he doesn't win, again, I'm not sure I would keep him around. But, you know, I'm just a fan sitting and talking. Well, and I told you earlier this week that I, I was starting to think of you as I was thinking about the game because with the hole in the defense uh, for the Chiefs being the run game, I was nervous that Shanahan will do what you thought he would do, be stubborn, pound the run, pound the run, which maybe is a good idea, but leave Purdy out of it. Purdy doesn't get comfortable and we need him later. That's one concern. My other concern, I had a, I had like a waking nightmare this morning while I was getting ready to head into work where, where I thought of another horrible scenario for whatever reason, let's say the Niners win the coin toss and they defer, and the Chiefs go down the field in three plays, boom, and it's just like against the Lions, and the Niners are down 7 nothing with 14 minutes and 38 seconds left to go in the first quarter. The difference being trying to come back against the Chiefs is not like trying to come back against the Lions, and, and that is my other big fear is if Mahomes is explosive right away and puts the Niners in a hole, that's the other way they that that they lose. And, and that that those are the things that are spinning in my head. I, and I think they should be spinning in her head because that is a really good scenario. And you know, if they defer and the Chiefs march down, just like the Lions, they put the Niners on their heels immediately in that game. And the Niners were trying to you know catch their breath and figure out what was going on. And next thing you know, they're down big at halftime. You know, that could easily happen again. If I'm the 49ers, I'm taking the opening opening mm. kick. I know you want to come out and, you know, get the opening kick in the second half. But to me, you don't want to be down 7 nothing to the Chiefs. And that's more of that Shanahan stubbornness. Nope, this is how I do it. This is how I do it. Okay, we, we, we'll tell you what analytics says about who's going to win this Super Bowl. Keep the emails coming. RAD at radradio.com. Mix Picks. The Mix Picks Sports Show. You can email us rad at radradio.com like Sean did as we get ready for the Super Bowl. Now, he's doing the the historical comparison that may or may not be relevant vis-a-vis are these guys even comparable, but here's his analysis. He says Montana threw three picks against the Cowboys on January 10th, 1982, but still won, and yet he never threw an interception in four Super Bowls. True. That's where he got the Joe Cool nickname. Purdy, he says, and the offense will be fine. The defense is the unit that needs to clean up their act. If they do, this game's not even close. So there's a few things in there. Thanks for adding yet another thing, Sean. I'm already thinking about all these things in my head. We've already been talking about, yeah, the defense, what the the the, the pass rush uh, has been dwindling to say the least for the 49ers. Um, I'm not sure. I agree that if the if the the Niners defense gets their act together, that it's going to not even be close. Um, and then and then uh, we're talking about other reasons. Uh, the, the emailer said that it seems like everybody's against us. Uh, ESPN did their, hey, we asked everybody you've ever heard of and some that you haven't, uh, who's going to win? They asked, uh, doing the math, they asked 64 media people at ESPN. 49, ironically, of them say the Chiefs are going to win. Th- this is where the Niner fans that are writing and, and Steve are, and me were starting to go, oh boy. Embrace it. It's the Niners against the world. Come on. This is what you want. You don't want everybody telling you how great you are and how you're the best team in the NFL, even though those are things I've been saying. But you don't want to hear it from everyone. You want that challenge. Here it is. You know, hopefully the Niners show up, play their best game. And if they do, I am confident the 49ers will win. Steve, uh, how do you – let me see if you like how I just, just described this to a friend recently. I had a friend ask me, 
what are analytics? And we've been talking about analytics off and on over the last, you know, a few weeks. And, and I, he's a sports fan, but he's not, like, deep into it. And so I said, it's really kind of like computer modeling. They take a bunch of stats, they throw them into a machine, and they try to predict what will happen based on what's happened in the past. That's a very, I thought, surface-level description. Do you have any issues with that? No, I, okay. I agree with you. That's pretty much what it is. So so with the NFL, they've got the DVOA, which stands for Defense Adjusted Value Over Average. And this is the go-to thing uh, that, that fans and sports media look at. And so they wrote this big, long article, and they acknowledge that uh, DVOA has not been perfect at predicting games this offseason. Uh, they had the Baltimore Ravens as the top overall team, should have gotten to the Super Bowl, and actually technically should have won it. Obviously, they lost to the Chiefs. The Niners second going into the playoffs uh, as the overall team. When they plugged everything in, uh, this is an SB Nation article, uh, to the DVOA metric, the presence of Mahomes always makes predicting things more complicated than just numbers, but overall DVOA, advantage San Francisco, second versus Kansas City, which was fifth. So overall with analytics, Kansas City is the fifth best team in the NFL, and they say San Francisco's second. San Francisco's first overall offense and Kansas City's eighth. Defensively, San Francisco's fourth, Kansas City's seventh. If you use analytics alone, the Niners should win. And then you've got the Mahomes factor. So there's there's the one piece of positive news that the Niner fans who are embracing the underdog thing, even though we're not really the underdog, can look at and go, okay, well, if it's purely an analytical game, the Niners should pull this out. Absolutely. Now, against the spreads, a different thing. And if <laughs> I, you want me to tear you down a little bit, I yes, got some absolutely. numbers for you. I, yes, absolutely. I, I have to put my glasses on for this, <laughs> and I'm just warning right now, 49er fans, and, and understand what I'm reading. I'm aware of, uh, but I'm still on the Niners. The 49ers had a regular season scoring margin of plus 193. The Chiefs had a regular scoring margin of plus 77. In the Super Bowl, teams that had a regular season margin at least 70 points better than their opponents are 0 and 8 against the spread. Oh, God. And 2 and 6 overall. Since the 20, 2001 season, how many number one seeds won when playing a lesser seed? It occurred 11 times. If the number one seeds are two and nine when facing a lower seed, Bill Vinovich will officiate Super Bowl. If you bet a hundred bucks on every underdog in the money line in games he refed by Vinovich since 2017, you'd be up $3,609. If a team won back to back road games to get to the Super Bowl, they are seven and out against the spread. Teams with a worse winning percentage than their opponent are 16 and two against the spread in the Super Bowl. The team who had a worse line in their conference championship game is 18 and two against the spread in the Super Bowl. Super Bowl teams that were dogs in the conference championship game facing an opponent who was a favorite are 13 and 0 against the spread mm. in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. The last 22 Super Bowls. The team that was a bigger average favorite over the course of the season is three and 19 against the spread favors KC Good God. teams that covered three straight games and route to a Super Bowl are nine and oh in the big game. 
Since 2003, the team with the better record has gone one and 15 against the spread in the Super Bowl, which also favors KC. The Chiefs have allowed 28 points or less in all 20 games this year. The four other teams to do that in all 19 games have won the Super Bowl. Every one of those stats I gave you all say the Chiefs win. So if you it this is not a, a literal comparison, but that is basically a version of analytics. If you're going to predict the future based on the past, you just rattled off a ton of reasons that the Chiefs should win. It also goes to the premise of the emailer. He's saying, hey, look, Montana threw three interceptions the, the, against the Cowboys back uh, during the game of the catch. But then he went on and he never threw an interception in uh, the Super Bowl four times. Brock Purdy, the offense, they'll be fine. He's doing the same thing. He's saying, look at the history. We'll be fine. And you're just droning on and on and killing me. It's like I'm a voodoo doll and you're poking me with every one of those things, which just keeps adding to the idea that – and. It, the problem as a Niner fan for me is that there's too many things to look at. Mahomes, the Niners defense, okay, analytically, they're better. But they haven't been the last many weeks. They've been going the wrong way. And if they don't go out and perform like they did those first 14 games, which is how they got to be fourth in the analytics, then it's irrelevant. They've got to they've got to match that up. It, what if Spags, one of the best defensive coordinators, has figured out a way to stop McCaffrey and, and bunch up that run game that the Niners need so bad. It just, you start to, I mean, the, the dude that wrote in is right. We're always the most pessimistic about our teams. But when I'm, the more I analyze this, I am, I'm, I am absolutely thinking myself into dread. I mean, you know, you could go deep into the psychological sense of this. It's like in life when, when things are going wrong, you keep telling yourself things are going to continue to go wrong. And then you do stupid stuff that makes things go more wrong. And that's what I'm doing in my hand as I look at this game as a Niner fan. Yeah, but let me ask you, how sweet is the victory going to be if they win this game? It's going to be, it's hard to even, you know, allow yourself. I mean, it's going to be, I haven't felt it since 95, right? I mean, I, I'm older than that guy who's, uh, he, his experience with the Niners begins with Mike Singletary. Like I was, you know, I was into my first marriage and, you know, well, well on my way in my career in those years. Um, so I, I have the 81 to 95 years. And then the horrible first decade of the century where, where the, the Niners were just awful. And then when you go, you know, with Harbaugh and Kaepernick and you go with, with Shanahan and you lose, you know, it, it, there is an element of, hey, we're the Niners. We've got five of these things. I mean, it sucks. But for some reason, it's uh, it, to lose the third one in a decade would really be awful. So to win it, how sweet would it be? Um, it would be, I think. I think it would be very, very sweet. I think it would kind of like calm the waters and be like, okay. Then you start thinking. Can, is it, can we roll off a few of these? Are we built? What's the cap look like? It changes your mindset immediately. You, now, you put me in that mindset, I, I immediately start going, okay, you, you keep referring to, yeah, we're going to have to pay Purdy at some point, but, man, do we have everybody locked down because the team's built to win? Who can we, who can we keep? The, how, many, how many more do we, can we get? So it would, it would be fantastic. And, and I, I mentioned yesterday, as a football fan, I always want the Super Bowl to be close, but as a Niner fan, what you really want is a blowout. And, and But to your question, I think, okay, a blowout would be great as a Niner fan. But I do think marching down the field, scoring to win, or the defense holds, I like that too because it, I just, it shows in that moment that they were able to pull it out. So I don't care how they win. I, it would be great. Uh, yeah, so yes, but, you know, then I'm going to go home alone and I'm going to start thinking of all the reasons they won't. 
Yeah, and if they win, I would think they would be the number two. You know, obviously the Niners winning their first championship for you has to be one, number one. I would think this is number two because you haven't had that success. You know, you're looking at, what, 30 years now since you've had that success? Yeah. So I would think this is slide right into number two. And the other thing to put you at ease, <laughs> the majority of the bets are coming in on the Chiefs, but the line has gone up. <laughs> that tells you the big money, which is usually the sharp money, is on the 49ers. So that might give you a little bit of ease there. The The really sharp money to this point has been on the 49ers. We're going to do our deep dive tomorrow where we're going to kind of analyze, you know, if time permitting with everything going on, uh, coaches versus coaches, defense versus defense, offense versus offense, kind of try to explain exactly how uh, we're, we're going to get there. Uh, but we have, we have a couple other uh, NFL notes and, uh, and back to the Super Bowl. Talk about, you know, how oh, – oh, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about who's, who's calling the game. People are upset over that and how we, how we all watch the game. A little quick things like that after this. Mix Picks, the Mix Picks Sports Show. Uh, just some quick hits from around the league. As uh, yes, we're keeping our eye on the uh, the trade deadline in the NBA as we head towards the Super Bowl. I was I was kind of like I, I, I leaned back in my sofa when I saw yesterday, Steve, that Rex Ryan, Rex Ryan, the you know, ESPN guy now, uh, who about, yeah yeah he does NFL Live and such, hasn't he hasn't been in the league for almost a decade? Interviewed for the Cowboys defensive coordinator opening. Out, that's out of the blue. I don't know. Maybe throw everything against the wall. Yeah, I think they're doing their due diligence. Uh, Rex Ryan interviewed for Broncos. another job somewhere as well. Yeah, it was Denver. Um, the fact that he's not there right now. You know, right now the Cowboys are also interviewing the Jets safeties coach, Manuel, for their defensive coordinator job. The part there is uh, uh, McCarthy worked with him a while back, so they do have a relationship there. But the fact that the Cowboys are continuing searching and doing interviews for that deep defensive coordinator position. I, I don't think Rex Ryan is going to be getting it. That would be wild, though, if he did after being away. And, man, the, the, the ego on that guy next to McCarthy would be who doesn't have one would be interesting. There's also a lot of palace intrigue uh, back with the, the Chiefs. So Eric Bieniemy was uh, the, the offense coordinator for Andy Reid. He left. He went to the commanders, got out of Andy Reid's shadow, uh, hope to kind of raise his profile to get a head coaching job. And then here comes Dan Quinn and says, bye-bye, Bien-Ami. Uh And so now we get confirmation that Bienemy spent the week before the Chiefs played the Ravens with the Chiefs. He was in meetings. Patrick Mahomes was asked about it. He said, oh, we love EB. And so now a lot of people are saying, is this the correlation that Andy Reid is going to retire after the game and Bienemy is going to be handed the keys, not Belichick? Actually, the question I came up with when I read this story was, wasn't Biennemi still a contracted coach with the commanders? That's what I thought. And, and if he is, which he was, according to everything we've seen, are coaches that are a contract with other teams really allowed to sit in with meetings with other teams and meet with the players and everything else because they're under contract with a different team? And that was the thing that jumped at me yeah. at it. Uh, obviously there is that Bianami connection to the chiefs, you know, being that offensive coordinator there. But one of the things I think always keeps hindering Bianami is he's never called his plays. Andy Reid called all the plays, even though Bianami was the offensive coordinator and everything I've read from the commanders is the players on offense really did not like Bianami in any way. 
So I'm not sure he would even get the Chiefs job <laughs> if it opened up and Andy Reid walked away. And on the on the contract thing, Dan Quinn hadn't been hired yet. So it's not like the new head coach had told him, hey, you're not sticking around. So it, it would have to be somebody, and the, the only thing that would make it make sense, and it still doesn't cover, wait a minute, is this a form of tampering or whatever, is if somebody high up in, in Washington had said to Biennemi, hey, look, we, we know the players. This ain't working out, so whoever comes in. And even then, I, I had the same question. That's so funny. Everybody's talking about the – it could Biennemi be coming back to Kansas City. And Andy Reid has said, I don't have a job for him, but I love the guy. And and, and so that's where the, all these rumors come. I'm sitting there going, how is he able to do that? that, that and, 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 and why – from the other side – why would the Chiefs allow it? They love the guy, but if but at that point they're like, hey, this guy is a coordinator for okay, right now Washington, we we may or may not play them and next year. The whole thing seems quite weird to me. Yeah, I understand the NFL not doing anything immediately. I'm just curious in the couple of weeks after the Super Bowl if anything will come out in this situation because to me I just don't see how if he's under a contract with another team, he's allowed to sit in because then you're sitting there going, okay, we're the 49ers and we're playing the chiefs. You know, are they going out and getting Sean Payton and saying, Hey, Payton, come talk to us, come fill us in on what we need to do. Cause you're in their division and you play them twice. I, I have a hard time with that because now you're allowing coaches from other teams to help build your game plan and pl- prepare your players and I know there is that relationship, but pull the name out of it. And you just heard, oh, hey, you know, the the Chiefs went out and they went and they talked to Sean McVay, came in and was breaking down mm-hmm. the 49ers to the Chiefs. Wouldn't you be screaming, whoa, hold it a second. How is this even fair? And pull the names out. And to me, that's basically what you're admitting happened. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this has to be, this will be looked at again once everything dies down after uh, the Super Bowl. We've been talking about if Belichick doesn't coach, we want to see him uh, in the booth. And it looks like, uh, again, it's all set up if if that's going to happen uh, for him to go into the studio with Fox where Gronk is and Brady is. And, you know, Brady will be calling the games. But, I mean, at Fox Sports, they've been lobbying for him. It could be a done deal. We're waiting to hear from that. We do know that Nick Saban, the Bill Belichick of uh, NCAA football is headed to ESPN. He'll be part of college game day. He'll be on for the draft. Saban's another one of those guys. He comes off as really uh, crusty and, 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 and brass and all that. But I've heard and seen him in other settings where he, and he's got a great football mind. Uh, I'm thrilled. He's going to be part of the draft coverage. I, I I'm excited about this. I I agree. I'm really interested to hear what he has to say. You got to believe he knows all the players coming out of that draft, their strengths, their weaknesses. And and I think, you know, just adding him to that with all of his knowledge, you know, both football and these players is just going to be a tremendous asset, you know, to that show when he comes on. Speaking of broadcasting, CBS has the game uh, on Sunday. Jim Nance on the call, one of the best ever. A lot of people that don't like Nance, it's like they, they don't like that he doesn't get excitable enough. I, I think Nance does a perfectly great job. He's not Al Michaels, but I, I, I love when, when Nance is calling a game. The, the focus is on Tony Romo, who when he went into the booth years ago, people were calling him Romo Stradamus because he would say things and then they would happen all the fe- on the field. And lately... People have had enough of his 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 humor. His uh, his catchphrase has been turned into a meme of "I don't know, Jim." Um, I, I don't have the problem with Tony Romo that social media seems to, and, and we've got mainstream sites, USA Today, ESPN, talking about 
the people are fed up with, with, with Tony Romo. I don't know how much time you get to spend with listening to the announcers. I know you're watching every game. Um, Romo doesn't bother me. Like, Look, Collinsworth, I'm told, is the best in the, in the, in the game. I don't get it. I do not enjoy Chris Collinsworth, and I think Mike Tirico is fantastic. I don't get the same skin crawliness with Romo that I do with Collinsworth. And yet, here we agree as well. Um, You know, Tony Romo was fantastic when he hit the booth. And I remember texting you, we would discuss it, on how he could have been the best, you know, the color man I've ever seen because he was able to say what the other teams were doing. And he was able, as you said, Nostradamus, to pretty much break down what was happening in the game for us fans ahead of it happening. And then we would watch it unfold. But the longer he's away from the game, the less he's going to be able to do that because he's not playing it. He's not studying the film. He's not doing these things that he did during his years as the quarterback. But he doesn't rub me wrong. I still think he does a great job. It's just he isn't able to to make those predictions ahead of time like he used to be. And it's funny how you hit on Chris Collinsworth because we've also had this discussion and I've always said, you know, Collinsworth doesn't really bother me. But the last couple of years, he's just bugging me more and more in what he says and everything in the booth. So I totally disagree with those who say Collinsworth is the best, you know, guy up in that booth because he's become much more irritating to me as well in the last few years. And there is an all but confirmed story that's out there. It certainly has not been denied that CBS last season held what they call like a Romo intervention where they the, the execs called him in and said, you're not the guy that you were when we gave you a 10-year, $17 million a year contract. And I have, I, I mean, I again, I don't have a problem with Romo, but I haven't seen the adjustments because of what you said. I When I watch, because I, I, I get almost every game that Romo does because it is usually the game of the week, he's not doing the, the Romo-Stradamus stuff. And I don't know if it's big. Now, what the intervention was is they said that he's not working hard enough. He's not watching tape. And that he, that he is, as you said, he's getting away from the game and he can't make predictions because he doesn't know how modern offenses work already. I agree with that. You know, he got his money. He's had his money from playing in the NFL career. I get the $10 million contract. I think he's like, you know, many of those other players you see get the big money and then just don't work as hard. And I think it's showing because he's not the same guy that he was his first year. First year, he was the best I've ever heard in the booth for that year. And now he's no different than anyone else now steve we've been we've been talking on the the flagship uh, morning show uh, all week about super bowl you know most people they either go to a party host a party or the number one thing they do is they're they're at their house but they are with friends maybe some some close friends and family um you and i have different experiences than that and then and then i think from each other I, because i'm on the air on monday super bowl sunday no matter who's playing is a work day uh, you know, I used to have to be home to watch the commercials. You can watch those now on the internet ahead of time. But you, you, I need, I need, I need the ability to to not have to tell people to shut up, right? I've got to be able to pay attention to the game, take notes, um, whether my team's in it or not. So it's my wife and me, um, and yeah, we we were able to have fun with with the food. But that's not exactly how most people do it. But ha- have you ever been able to enjoy a Super Bowl at home? Since you were an adult running sports books, I have worked pretty much every single Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> I've been very blessed with my career, and one of the things I look at it is, look, 
if I wasn't at work, this is what I'd be doing. I'm actually getting paid to watch the game <laughs> and work on that day. So, I mean, I have the best of both worlds. I'm bringing in a paycheck and I'm still able to watch the game. So I've been very blessed in that sense. Do you um, do, do you take advantage of uh, the, I assume everywhere you've worked, they're doing the special food deals. So you still get to eat Super Bowl food, like you get the wings and the hot dogs or whatever you love. I used to be able to go into the VIP parties and kind of stroll around, see the setups and eat the food. The last several years I have not because now with in-game wagering, mm. you know, to where you're able to bet during the game, I've had to oversee that. So I'm not allowed to roam like I used to, but you are, so I'm pretty much stuck in my office. You're able to watch the game though, right? You get to see the game. Yes, absolutely. You're not distracted by all this work you're doing. No, I just don't get to see the halftime show because I'm hanging halftime lines. Yeah, you're not missing much uh, from the historical uh, aspect. My my wife and I, we had finalized the menu, and she's called an audible since uh, it was going to be, uh, it was going to be a, a sloppy Joe sliders and uh, caprese salad balls. You know, little mozzarella sticks and and basil and cherry tomato uh, at wings. And, um, and and guacamole and uh, salsa. And I'm trying to remember there was one more. But then we were talking on the air earlier, and she decided she wanted to add something in, like maybe chili. But then I'm like, wait a minute, this is too much food. we got to take away some. So I don't know the menu yet. But we do, we do at least try to come up with the nosh all day menu. I mean, I'll be up Sunday morning early anyways, and I'll start cooking. And then by 9 a.m., we're, we're eating various foods throughout the, the game. And I think that, I think that part's normal. For, for people and the 120 million people or whatever who are going to watch the game. And it is kind of like, uh, it is one of my favorite days of the year. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, the food just needs to be something that can, you know, sit for a bit. You don't want right. to, I'm not making steaks because now <laughs> I got to, you know, make the steaks. So I'm not able to watch the game. Yeah. You want things that just, you know, stay throughout, you know, the nachos, the wings, the hot dogs, uh, you know, your, your, uh, um, your sliders there that you're getting with the sloppy Joe sliders, you know, pulled pork sandwiches, yeah. just stuff that can sit for a while and allow to me, that's what the food's about. Yeah. And of course there are a lot of people do the, I don't want to call it lazy as a, a, a derogatory term. There's always pizza places, you know, pizza places, double their business uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. All right. We will do our breakdown of the Super Bowl uh, tomorrow where we get more into it. Love to hear from you. RAD at radradio.com. Steve, I'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10. Thank you. Mix.